The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, the pastor of the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I'm going to lay out for you today, in a very systematic way, an understanding of the gospel that for me is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not the gospel of the modern church, it is not the gospel you will hear preached. Sunday after Sunday, because a lying spirit has entered into the church of America today, and I will show you in the scriptures the antidote, the answer. The church today is a powerless church. There is a form of godliness, but there is no power. There is no conviction. There is no life of righteousness. There is no growing up. The church is in infancy. And all the while, having great success with finances and programs and entertainment, erudite preachers, entertaining preachers, inspirational preachers, But after you've listened, the word that is spoken does not give your heart, your soul, power, power to live a godly life. So we're going to go through a number of scriptures, and I ask please that you would jot them down and go back and carefully read them. Now, I'm going to be working today out of a New Testament by Dr. Lavender, Malcolm Lavender. It's a new translation, but it is the first translation that I found that is literal in its translation of the Greek. And we need a very literal translation for today because much of the salvation language has been so corrupted that we don't know what we're talking about. An example, we have shallowly and mistakenly said that grace is merely undeserved favor, unmerited favor. Well, the grace of God is unmerited, it is undeserved, but that's not the heart of what grace is. Grace is the divine influence of God to make a man or a woman righteous. It is never in Scripture used as a blanket to cover over filth and corruption. That's a Gnostic teaching that you can be corrupt in your inner being and yet you're saved because you have made a confession of Jesus Christ. The sinning Christian is never 
given to us in Scripture. It is the lie of the modern church. So I want to begin today very logically and calmly to lay out for you the case for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We begin in the book of Luke, the 13th chapter. He is teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there Jesus sees a woman who has a spirit of infirmity. She has had this spirit of infirmity for 18 years. She was bent over. She was not able to stand up completely. But Jesus, having seen her, called her out of the congregation, and he said to her, Woman, you have been released from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and was glorifying God. But the ruler of the synagogue, having answered, being angry that Jesus healed on the Sabbath, was saying to the multitude, There are six days in which one ought to work, so you must be healed coming on these and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall, and after having led it away it drinks? In fact, this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound eighteen years, in that case, was it not necessary to set her free from this bondage on the day of the Sabbath? Now it's very clear from this story that when this woman walked away, she was no longer bent over. She had been completely released she had been completely healed. There was no infirmity upon her. Jesus released her from her infirmity. He healed her, and it was a complete healing, or the Jewish people would not have been upset. The, the scribes, the Pharisees, they would not have been upset, but they recognized that she walked out completely healed and restored. Now, this word completely is used in a number of different places in the scripture. I want to share with you in the book of Hebrews. I'm going to jump ahead in our study because I don't want you to misunderstand what my purpose is. And please understand, the book of Hebrews utterly destroys the modern gospel of the American church. That's why you very seldom 
will hear any preacher speak out of the book of Hebrews except perhaps chapter 11, and that they twist to their own wickedness. But Hebrews, the seventh chapter, let me read for you. I'll begin beginning in verse 23. In fact, the ones having become priests are many because by death they were prevented to continue. But because he continues forever, that is, Jesus Christ, he has an unchangeable priesthood. For which reason he is also able to save completely. <coughs> it's that same word, completely. Here the writer of the book of Hebrews uses the same word he, the prophet, uses the same word that was used in Luke about the healing being healed completely. For 18 years she was held in bondage by the devil. She was bent over. But now she is made straight. She was healed, able to stand up completely. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying that Jesus, because he has an unchanging priesthood, is able to save completely from our sin. Not a partial deliverance from the bondage of sin, but a complete deliverance from our sin. Now there are many passages of Scripture that address this issue. And I'm going to begin in Matthew, the first chapter, and we're going to look at some of these passages that so clearly tell us the same message that the writer of the book of Hebrews is telling us. Matthew, the first chapter, verse 21. And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus. Mark it well. He himself will save his people from their sins. Jesus did not come to cover over our sins. He came to save us from, out of, our sins. Or look at the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. I'm going to read to you from chapter 1, verse 29. Chapter 1, verse 29. On the next day, he sees Jesus, that is, John the Baptist, sees Jesus coming toward him, and he says, Look, the Lamb of God, the one taking away the sin of the world. The prophecy about Jesus, both in Matthew 1 and now in John one twenty nine, is that he will take away our sin. 
if you look with me, also please, in Acts, Acts 13, I'm going to begin reading for you at verse 38. And this is, of course, a sermon that Paul is giving. Acts 13, verse 38. Therefore it must be known to you, men, brethren, that through this man, that is Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. But we have corrupted the meaning of forgive. It comes from the Greek word aphemi, which means to remove. It is not to say, I forgive you for your sins, but you must continue to live in them. The word aphemi is used here, and it literally, in the Greek, means to remove, to take away, as though they never were. Now, this is not just past sins. This is all sin in my life. Verse 39, By this man, everyone believing is made righteous. Now, the word justification is an old English word and the original meaning of this old English word was to make righteous. We have corrupted the word justification to make it only refer to the sin of the past which is then translated as we are forgiven for the past sins but the present sins are not removed and cannot be removed until we die. That is a lie. It is against the word of God. It's very clear in Acts 13. It says, By this man, everyone believing is made righteous, even from all all things from which you were not able to be delivered by the law of Moses. In other words, all of those sins that continued in your heart under the law that you could not remove because self-effort does not cleanse a man's life of his sin, only the blood of Jesus has the power to remove our sin, to affamy our sin. So this is not a cheap forgiveness of our sins and continuing then to leave us in the degradation and wickedness while all the time claiming that we are saved. This is aphemy, to remove the sin from our heart. And then if we go to Ephesians, the first chapter I'll begin reading for you at verse 7. In whom we have, that is, Jesus Christ, in whom we have the redemption, that is, 
we have the buying back from the presence and ownership of the devil by means of his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he granted richly unto us all, in all conceivable wisdom and understanding, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself in the course of the management of the fullness of time, to gather together all things in Christ, the things in the heavens and the things in the earth. It is the purpose of Jesus, then, to gather all things into Jesus Christ. That does not include sin. It is not the purpose of God to gather sin into Jesus Christ. So we have to go back and ask again, what is this word to forgive? It is asaphon. That is, from the word to remove. So appropriately, this passage of Scripture should be read, in whom we have the redemption by means of his blood. Now, what does this redemption look like? The removal of sins according to the riches of his grace. The removal, the removal, the taking away of all sin because he wants to include us in Jesus Christ. Now, if you'll look with me at chapter 2, that is Ephesians, the second chapter, and I'm going to begin reading for you at verse 14. For he is our peace, the one having made both one and having torn down the middle wall of separation, and the hostility by means of his flesh, having abolished the law of the commandments and ordinances, in order that he might create the two into one new man in himself, making peace even that he may transfer both in one body to God by means of the cross, having done away with the enmity by it. That is, Jesus, at the cross, utterly and completely removed the enmity of sin so that both Jews and Gentiles could enter into Jesus. Now, if you look further with me in Ephesians, at Ephesians, the fourth chapter, I'm going to begin at verse 20. This is 4, Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 20. But you learned... Not that Christ in this way, if indeed you heard him and you were taught by him, just as the truth is in Jesus, 
that you are to put off once and for all concerning the former way of life, the old man, the one being depraved according to the desires of delusions, and to be new again in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new man, and the one having been created in conformity with God in righteousness and holiness of truth. Therefore, having already put aside falsehood, each one must speak the truth with his neighbors, because we are members of one another. Be angry, but you must not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your angry mood, and you must not give place to the devil. The one stealing must not steal any more, but rather let him labor, working the thing that is good with his hands, that he may have to share with the ones having need. Any word that is harmful must not proceed out of your mouth, but any word that is beneficial for edification of the need, then to speak, that it may give grace to the one's hearing. And you must not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed unto a day of redemption. All bitterness and rage and anger and clamor and slander must be put away from you with every hatefulness. And you must be kind one to another, tender-hearted, freely favoring each other, as also God by Christ favored you. Accordingly, you must be imitators of God as beloved children. In fact, you must walk in love as Christ also loved us and delivered himself in our behalf and offering and sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But sexual immorality and all uncleanness or inordinate desire for riches must not be so much as mentioned among you as becoming holy ones. And indecency and silly talk or coarse jesting, these things are not fitting, but rather thanksgiving. Now this you are understanding, that every fornicator or unclean person or one who defends for gain or defrauds for gain, who is an idolater, has not an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ of God. Let nobody deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore be not partakers with them. So it's very clear that in the fourth chapter and the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians, there is the expectation that we will take off by the power of the blood of Jesus the old man, the old carnal man, and we will put on the new man of the Spirit, and we will no longer walk in any sin. We will be holy before God, washed and cleansed by the living God of heaven, having our sins not just forgiven, but removed, completely removed, so that we walk in the newness of a new man. 
Now, if you've tuned in late, what I'm doing is just walking through scripture after scripture after scripture that clearly indicates that we are to be healed completely, restored. The old man, the old man of carnality, the old man of flesh is to be entirely removed. Now I know many churches still teach that you cannot ever have the old man removed from your life. They teach that contrary to the scriptures based on their experience. I remember listening to Charles Stanley and he was talking about his early child upbringing. He was raised in a holiness family, he said. And by his own witness, he found it impossible to overcome sin. And because of his experience, he went to the Reformed doctrine of the sinning Christian. You know, we're in a sad state of affairs when we believe about the gospel simply what we have experienced and not what the scriptures teach. He evidently was not taught or not mature enough to understand the true gospel of Jesus Christ, and so he tossed it overboard and teaches today a false gospel. He has much wisdom. He is like Solomon. Many of his things are right. I love to listen to him. But he does not understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has adopted the reformed teaching of the infant spoken of in the book of Hebrews. We will deal with that tomorrow. He speaks and teaches the wisdom of Solomon to infants, and he himself is an infant in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he is in that position because he has based his beliefs not on the blood of Jesus Christ that sets a man free from every sin, completely removing everything. He does not base his teaching on the word of God that teaches that the old man, the carnal man, is to be utterly and totally removed. He found the crucifixion that Jesus speaks about when he says, deny yourself, come and follow me on his way to Golgotha. He founds his theology not on being crucified with Christ, but on the false teaching that you will always be a sinner man and you can never overcome and you're always going to be struggling do you honestly want a gospel that allows you to continue being raped by the devil? If that's the gospel of Jesus Christ, I want nothing to do with it. I would rather be a pagan than to be a Christian who believes that God would allow me to be continually raped by the devil and I could never have victory over the wickedness of my heart. I want to testify today, God has given me victory over the wickedness of my heart. And I walk today 
clean and pure before God. Now, there are additional scriptures that I want to share with you. I'm not basing this teaching on one scripture. I've already given you one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I've already given you eight scriptures. Now let's give you one more. In the book of Colossians, chapter 1, I'll begin reading with verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father, the one having qualified us for the share of the allotment of the holy ones in the light, who delivered us out from the authority of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his Son, of his love. Now I want you to note, the writer of the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul, is saying that God the Father has delivered us out from the authority of darkness and has translated us, has translated us, And by the way, that word is far more than moving from one place to another, i.e. transferred. It is not the person that used to be transferred, but is transformed, made holy. These are transformed persons translated into the kingdom of God, changed transformed, metamorphosed because of the kingdom of God. It is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, Romans fourteen seventeen. Thus only the holy may enter therein. So let's be very clear. It's speaking about God the Father who delivered us out from the authority of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the Son, of his love, in whom we have redemption by means of his blood, the forgiveness of the sins. But the word forgive that you may find in your NIV is aphemy, meaning the removal of sin, the removal of of sin. Now please hear what I'm trying to say to you today. We are not brought into the kingdom of Jesus Christ without being metamorphosed, transformed, changed by a supernatural work of grace that makes us righteous, not by the law, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. See, this is not by works. It's by faith. And Jesus does the work in us and for us. But we must be willing to allow him to transfer us to change us into the likeness of Jesus, Christ in us, the hope of glory. If you have not been 
transferred, metamorphosed, changed, and placed in the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of light, you may be extremely religious. But you are not saved from your sin. You still walk in your sin. Thus you are not saved into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You are still under condemnation and judgment. You are still under the law of God and have not entered into grace. A person who continues to sin is not under grace. He is under condemnation. He is not in Christ Jesus. Look carefully at Romans, the 12th chapter. Romans, the 6th chapter. Now, I also want to read chapter 2 of Colossians, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 9. Now, please understand, I could go to countless scriptures, and they will all say the same thing but they are always interpreted and translated by the modern church in light of the experience of the modern church, justifying, trying to excuse sin. Listen, this is Colossians, the second chapter. I begin with verse 9. For in him, that is, in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are in him, having been made complete. The same word that is used in Luke for the woman who was healed completely. The bondage of being bent over, of being crippled, was entirely removed by the healing of Jesus. You, if you are in Christ Jesus, have been made complete. You are no longer under the bondage of sin. You are walking now free from sin. Continuing, he is the head of all rule and authority, in whom you were also circumcised with a circumcision not of human origin, but the stripping off of the body of the flesh in the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in the baptism, with whom you were also raised by faith in the working of God, the one having raised him from among the dead. And you being dead in the trespasses and uncircumcision of your faith, he made you alive together with him, having shown himself gracious to us with reference to all the trespasses, having already done away with the handwriting of the ordinances against us, which used to be contrary to us, he has taken it out of the midst, having nailed it to the cross, having stripped the rulers and the authorities of their power, he exposed them in public, having, after having triumphed over them 
by the cross. Now let's be very plain. This may be difficult for some of you to understand because it is so different from what you believe and so different from what you have experienced. But I do not base reality on what I experience for my experience can be a deception. I believe what the Word of God says. It is the final authority. By it we shall be judged. The Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing bone from marrow. We do not base our beliefs on what we think or what we experience. We base what we believe on what the Word of God says in clarity. And so here in Colossians, the second chapter, we are told that when we were born again, when we were crucified, these are all words that mean the same thing, we were likewise circumcised, not by human hands, but by the stripping off of the body of flesh. That is, Adam's carnal nature in which we were born. Mankind was created in the image of God, but in the fall was born in the image of Adam, as was Seth. Paul constructs now the strongest possible term for stripping off to show the complete removal of moral depravity and the restoration from the Paul, from the fall. This term that Paul uses in the Greek is the stripping off. It is the separating from. It is the coming out from. It is the strongest possible term in the Greek to show that carnality is utterly removed from the Christian's life. Now, having put off the old man with its practices, that you find in the third chapter, verse 9. Now, please, I don't mean to be controversial with you, but I too intend to show you the reason the modern church is powerless because it has never been crucified with Christ. It has never had its flesh stripped off the carnality. And so the church is filled with people who say they are Christians but walk like the devil. Even pastors rising up in anger against members, demanding that their little kingdom reign supreme. 
the most painful experiences I've had in my life I have had at the hands of people who call themselves Christians. At the hands of pastors and boards that call themselves Christians. But in fact, they are filled with carnality. The old man has never been stripped away, but they are absolutely determined to walk in what they think they know because of the experience they have. And they have rejected the truth of Scripture that a man can be made whole, that a man can be cleansed, that a man can be crucified with Christ so that he no longer lives, but Christ lives in him, as Paul talks about in the book of Galatians. They utterly deny the transformational work of Christ to completely strip away the flesh of carnality, of the old man. And they believe that they will always be fighting with the old man. They will always be giving in. And some of you listening today have experienced continually going back to your sin, crying and weeping and say, Jesus, I've gone back to my sin. Please forgive me one more time. This is not the Christian walk. This is the humanistic walk of the modern church. And yet some of you insist on continuing to partake of this modern church where the gospel is prostituted, where you are entertained with little ditties, with little plays, with entertainment, with jokes, with social life, with coffee and donuts. And somehow in the midst of all of this, you think you're saved. While in fact, you're still a pagan at heart with some sentimental attachment to Jesus. There must be a revival. There must be a deep coming of the Holy Spirit to reveal the utter carnality of the church today and the utter wickedness of the church today if ever the people of God who call themselves that will be saved. Now I have just a couple more. But I will take a call. If you'd like to call, call 877 877- Five three four zero seven eight zero eight seven seven five three four zero seven eight zero and I'll take a couple of calls. Otherwise I'm going to continue. In Titus the second chapter verse fourteen. He gave himself in our behalf in order that he might redeem us from every iniquity and might cleanse for himself a people as a possession, zealous of good works. And then if you look at chapter 3, I'll begin with verse 3. For we were also once foolish, disobedient, being led astray, serving various kinds of lusts and pleasures, spending life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. 
But when the kindness and love for mankind appeared from God our Savior, not out of the works by means of righteousness which which we did, but according to his mercy, he delivered us by a washing by means of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So we have terms in Scripture like crucifixion, being born again, being circumcised by Christ, and now by a means of washing. They all mean the same thing. Renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly by Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been made righteous by the grace of that one, we may become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You cannot be an heir of Christ if you still are walking in the old carnal nature of Adam. You must be transferred to the kingdom of light. And that comes through crucifixion, being born again, being circumcised. It's a supernatural work of grace that God does when we finally come to a place of total surrender of our heart and our life to Jesus Christ. And we ask him, please open for us the gates of righteousness. Redeem us by your precious blood. And we begin to see the fullness of our guilt and of the rogue nature that we have pursued. It says, But when the kindness and love for mankind appeared from God our Savior, before that we were serving in every kind of sin. Good. Hi, Opal, welcome. What would you like to share? Hi, Opal, welcome. What would you like to share? I I had a question. Making a joke with someone that's not perverse and doesn't have any curse words in it, does that mean that if you say you're saved that you're still living in, like, sin? No, Opal, God has a wonderful sense of humor, or he wouldn't have made the grasshopper. Okay. Okay, God has a wonderful sense of humor. But what he's referring then, to what he's referring oh, to here, Opal, is the foolishness that turns us aside from righteousness. Okay. In other words, if to excuse ourselves from being serious about Jesus, we're always joking and not dealing with our sin, that's what he's talking about. So if but I yes. deal with my sin okay, I got saved in ninety four. And I have made mistakes since, but I don't try to, I I try to take accountability for it because I do want to be under what I'm supposed to be with Christ and be in his kingdom. What does that mean that I've made mistakes, that I'm not really saved? No. Uh, when, When my daughter would do something that was completely contrary to the will of God, Mm -hmm. contrary to my will, I didn't disown her. I I disciplined her. I corrected her. So when you do something that is wrong, and First mm-hmm. John talks about that, if we do perhaps on occasion do something that is sin, rebellion against God, 
He will discipline us. And we have an advocate with the Father. But if that's a constant lifestyle, we're saying we're in rebellion against the Lord and we don't walk with him. We've not been transferred to the kingdom of light and we'll be lost. Uh, you see, I think I understand. It's, it's, so let me ask you this. It's, in other words, saying, like, if I continuously say curse and then tell God, I'm sorry, God, and then turn around tomorrow and somebody say something that upset me and I just blurt the curse word out without really trying to make an effort to stop doing it, that's what you're talking about, for yes. example, right? Yes. Okay. See, Opal, so that means in, I just need to stay in prayer and, you, and consciously make more efforts to stop doing what I need to work on not doing then. But you need to trust Jesus to take that out of your heart. And okay. if you'll, our eyes have to be kept on Jesus, not on our sin. Jesus will remove it. He will, he will circumcise our hearts. He will totally transform us into his likeness. But in order for that to happen, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus and trust him to do that work in us. Now, Opal, in the, in the book of Ephesians, there are two words referring to being saved. One is when we come to Jesus Christ, we surrender our life to him. We are transformed into his likeness. It says we are then healed or we are then sealed by the Holy Spirit. And we can refer to it then as I am saved. But then there is a conditional salvation where we have to continually walk out that salvation and Mm -hmm. draw closer and closer to Jesus. So, yes, you were saved in the past, but Mm -hmm. you have not been totally saved yet. Salvation is conditional. Okay. Okay? Okay, I think I understand. It's conditional in the sense that it's a constant growing? Yes. Oh, okay. So it doesn't mean make excuses and make mistakes on purpose. It just means when you make those mistakes, that means God brought it to my attention. Hey, that's something I need to work on. No, and that's something constant... you need to repent for and give it to Jesus. Okay, <clears throat> and just do my best not to ever do it again. Yes, but give it to Jesus and let him accomplish that work in you. See, okay. see, the gospel of Jesus does not teach self-help. It does not teach okay. salvation by effort. Mm-hmm. It teaches trust in Jesus. It was the great preacher Spurgeon who said, sin will keep you from the Bible and the Bible will keep you from sin. Mm. Okay, so you focus on reading the word, you focus on Jesus, you keep your eyes on him, because we have an eternal destiny to win. We have a heaven to win and a hell to miss. Mm-hmm. All right, Opal, good to talk Thank to you. you. I haven't heard from you for a while. I know, I've been trying to get things in order and get back in the workforce. Okay, God bless you, and and stay in touch. I will. Thank you. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Well, we're almost out of time in this broadcast. I do have a couple more scriptures, but I think I'll save them and share with you tomorrow.
I do want to invite you, if these words that I've spoken to you have opened your mind and your heart and you're looking for a place where you can come and worship, a place that teaches and walks in this righteousness and you desire that, then I invite you to come to the National Prayer Chapel. We rent space from the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia, and the address for the church is 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. I also invite you to contribute to cover the cost for this radio broadcast. We're pushing $4,000 this month, and we're still far short of that. I'm very grateful for those of you who have already contributed, but we're going to need others to step in. Please send your tithe or your offering as the Holy Spirit calls you to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com God bless you, my brother, my sister. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, the pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I love you, my brother and my sister. Come and follow Jesus. Come and be transferred to the kingdom of light. And Jesus will meet you at the National Prayer Chapel. I'll talk to you soon.